This podcast is proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry. Hi, I'm Gordon Muller. I'm the guru in the Doc and Guru podcast. Thanks for being with us. For those of you who don't know me, I've spent over 40 years in the media industry in South Africa and uh, pretty much made it my home, my life, my passion. I have other passions, unfortunately, for my sins. I'm an Arsenal supporter and a Shark supporter, so we're going to do pretty much everything on the show as it pertains to media, marketing, and money, but we don't take jokes about Arsenal or the Sharks. I'm Doug Mateus, uh, the doc on the show. Uh, and again, for those of you who don't know me, I've uh, spent 30 years in, in uh, various companies in South Africa uh, running uh, different marketing functions. And the last job I had, I was privileged in, uh, enough to work with a team that took uh, the brand to the fastest growing brand in South Africa in 2018 with a 47% year-on-year growth. So that was a, a great achievement uh, for the team and, and, and I'm really proud of that. Uh, from a personal point of view, I do a little bit of cycling uh, and also snow skiing. So we quite enjoy that. But again, uh, today's discussion is around all things marketing and media. Yep, that's right, Doc. All things marketing and media. No subject too big, no topic too small, no subject too hot to handle please get in touch with us on our facebook page follow us like us whatever it takes we would love you to be involved with the show and uh, we really want to make it as inclusive and as energetic as i know this industry is capable of morning doc how are you doing hey gordon i'm fine how are you I'm all right. I'm recovering from a particularly brutal football weekend, as you know. Arsenal uh, out the FA Cup. Yeah, and, I saw uh, that. And you guys are defending champions. And so that's a little bit sad in, in that sense. Yeah, it's a bit sad. Although, you know, the mighty Chiefs made, managed a, a fabulous nil-nil draw with Stellenbosch. So I suppose that's, <laughs> you've got a point out of that game. There's something to be excited about. Yeah. Um, but, okay. um, yeah, you know, it's... It, is what it is. Our other interest last week, of course, was the Sharks. I see they've yeah. managed to sneak a berth in the uh, Curry Cup final on Saturday. So I'm looking forward to that. And maybe we'll get Ed Kutsia back on to tell us uh, the background story of how the Sharks won the Curry Cup in 2021. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, I mean, good luck to them. You know, I'd, uh, as you say, uh, Gordon, you know, 80 minutes, anything could happen. And so, yeah, certainly uh, all the best to, to the guys out there. And who knew Nice Porter was wrong? You can't win the Curry Cup in May, but you can win it in January, it would appear. This is really, really getting it's weird. A, a strange times indeed. Yeah. Anyway. But I'm really excited about our guest today. We've got with us today Ryland Fisher, who is a colleague of mine of many years standing. He has 40 years of experience in the media industry. He's an editor. He's a journalist. He's a columnist, an author, a businessman former editor of the Cape Times, the New Age. Uh, I first met Ryland some years ago, linked to his book, published in 2007, a book called Race, which was an analysis of race and racism in post-apartheid South Africa. I would recommend that to anybody. It's really quite cathartic and, and extremely helpful. Um, but in particular today, he, as part of a community chest initiative, has uh, collated and published a book, The South Africa We All Want to Live In. And I think that's what we need to hear uh, is the upside of life in South Africa. So, Ryland, thanks, uh, thanks for joining us today. It's a pleasure. 
Yeah, oh, thanks, thanks Roland. for having me on. Yeah, thank you and welcome. I mean, you know, as Gordon and I said a few weeks back, uh, going into 2021, you know, we want to look for the positive stories, the good news stories. And so we're very keen to chat to you about that book uh, and, uh, you know, a little bit about how it came about uh, and, and, and how can people get it and, and some of the lessons and key outtakes, you know, because not just South Africa, but I guess the world is looking for positive stories now. Uh, and, and so hopefully that's just part of our journey uh, into, into a broader future. Yeah, Ravik, I mean, yeah, no. Ryland, the, the new book, so the South Africa we want to live in. I think let's hand it over to you. What's it all about, you know, and, and how did you go about the, the community chest angle for me is, is really interesting. Tell us, just you take us through. Yeah. I'm going to keep quiet now, Doc's waving okay, his hand so, at me. So, um, at the beginning of um, 2019, um, I had a meeting with um, Lorenzo Davids, who's the CEO of Community Chest, and Bonita Bennett, who, who was then the executive director of the District 6 Museum. And we we were talking about the upcoming elections, and and we were worried about the upcoming elections. This was the, the May elections in 2019, and how it was going to impact on everybody, and and we kind of asked ourselves whether there was a role that NGOs in particular could play um, within, you know, kind of influencing the, the elections, not in terms of the outcome of the elections, but, but more the kind of environment in which the elections are held. And we then decided maybe we should have a, a kind of a dialogue about this. And we had a dialogue, I think, on the 21st of, of January 2019, and at that dialogue, we very, very quickly realized that the topic that we chose to talk about, the role of NGOs in an election year, was too narrow. Um, because the what came out of the dialogue was that people actually wanted to talk about the nature of our society. They wanted to talk about the issues that we have to deal with in the society and how we can deal with it. And so then we set in motion a whole series of dialogues, um, basically throughout the Western Cape, um, as far as um, George, but in Stellenbosch and Paul and Athlone and, and places like that, um, where the topic of discussion was the South Africa we want to live in. And um, we decided that we would have these dialogues very differently to any other dialogues that I've ever been to. Um, we, you know, we would normally invite experts to kind of give their inputs, but the experts wouldn't speak first. And they wouldn't sit in front in the, uh, of the stage. They would sit in the audience. And at first they would listen for about 30 minutes because the discussion started from the, from the floor and people were just allowed to kind of say whatever they wanted to say in terms of the problems that they have with the country and, and, and where they felt we should be going. And then we would say to the experts, do you want to respond? Um, and so we would give them 15 minutes to respond. And then we would do another 30 minutes of kind of input from the floor and another 15 minutes of response. And that that, that was the kind of the format of the dialogues. Hmm. And Ryan, the other thing that we did, yeah, and I facilitated all these dialogues. Yeah. And how the other you... thing that I did before, Sorry? No, go on. I was going to ask, I'll ask it afterwards. Yeah, no, I'll, I'll, let me, that's what we were last sentence, basically. So 
the other thing that we did with the dialogues was we said to the people who attended, firstly, you come here not wearing a political hat. Even if you are an MP or a mayor or a representative of a political party, but you come here as a South African who wants to make a constructive contribution to the debate about the nature of a society. Secondly, the first 30 minutes, we can moan and groan and whine as much as we want. The second 30 minutes, you are, we take on a more kind of positive um, look at society. So we look at how we, as South Africans, and I don't like to use the word ordinary because I think ordinary is, is, a, is a kind of a demeaning word in a way. Um, just how we as South Africans, coming from our different backgrounds, can make a contribution to building the South Africa that we want to live in. Um, not saying that government doesn't have a role, but we have a tendency in our country to depend too much on government. So we said, okay, let's, yes, we know government is doing whatever they need to do, but what can we do as South Africans to influence government and also to to do things by ourselves that could potentially impact on our country? And so that effectively, and then after that, I then put all of these reports together. And when I put the group together the reports and the dialogues, I realized that I needed a bit more. And so then I reached out to a lot of people to write kind of 300 to 500 word contributions. And so we ended up with about 50 contributions from around the country and from some amazing people, um, young and old, rich and poor, um, men and women, people from different religions, people in business, people in civil society, uh, musicians, sports people, etc. And so that's the kind of the voices that's all reflected in this book. I know that was a long introduction, yeah, no. but yeah. <laughs> no, thanks, Roland. That's that's absolutely excellent because you know it gives us a, a good view of, of where it is. My question was: uh, you were saying it was it was located in largely in the Western Cape, as far as Southern Cape and that. Um, how many of these I want to call them town hall sessions or community sessions did you have over that time? Um, I think we had seven, um, yeah, of these sessions. You know. Okay, and I mean, you um, know. And just preparing for this, I mean, I was reading some of the, you know, your narrative and, and, and you were saying about, and I, and I think I just want to re-emphasize the point you were talking about, what can you as an extraordinary South African, if, if I use that term then, do ex outside of government? And I mean, there were a few things that came through from that study. Uh, and, and I mean, I don't know if you want to just share with us the highlights of the, or the main pain points of, uh, of people out of, out of the communities. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, what I found is that there were there were similar issues in in all the areas. Um, the economy obviously is, is was the number one issue everywhere we went, um, and the economy kind of manifests itself in different ways in terms of you know people not having jobs, people worrying about the increase in food prices and and so on. Um, uh, safety and security, big 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 issue everywhere. Um, and um, the land also came up from time to time, um, and particularly in the in the rural areas. We, you know, like so in Paul Stellenbosch, um, George, mm. um, and and the interesting discussion that that we ended up with at every 
dialogue was about um, there was a, a kind of a feeling among younger people that us older folks had deserted them, um, especially those of us who were involved in struggle. Mm. We deserted them when we kind of almost ended the struggle in 1994 and that there was a need for the struggle to continue, even at a different level. Um, and and so what I found in the dialogues is that that kind of intergenerational thing came through quite strong where, you know, young people were raising their voices and then older folks like myself had to kind of respond to it. Um, and... Uh, it was it was very interesting. I mean, I one of the things that I always said is like, you know, historically young people have this role of leading revolutions in countries. Um, you know, when when we when we look at the revolutions throughout the, the world, you find that it's young people are at the forefront. And the weird thing is that we might not have thought of them as young people when they were busy, kind of involved in these revolutions. So even somebody like Che Guevara. Che Guevara mm. was a young man. He was under 30 years old when he was kind of fighting, you know, um, in, you know, with the Cubans. Um, and even in South Africa, I mean, a lot of the people who who ended up, um, or in, internally who were involved in the struggle, so people like Trevor Manuel, like Valimusa, Cheryl Carolus, uh, Popo Molefi, people like that, they were young people when they were, at the head of the UDF. They were all in their late 20s and, you know, early 30s, which uh, if you use the ANC Utlik definition of young, is very young. Um, you know, the ANC Utlik says you're still a youth until 35. Yep. So all of these guys were young people when they were involved in the struggle. And so we need to get back into that and we need to kind of convince young people to encourage young people to engage with society and engage with the structures in society in an effort to change it where they feel it needs to be changed. Yeah, look, I think you know it's an interesting thing. I mean, first of all, I'm really excited about the principle of a dialogue. Having watched, I'm pretty sure, as all of us, the, the American elections, uh, we can see what happens when you have the absence of, of dialogue. So a dialogue in and of itself is encouraging. On the young side of it, uh, for me, what we also need to bear in mind is whatever change happens has to... Uh, accommodate those uh, of a different age so you know hopefully there's a role in this for young-minded people and I think that for me is is what I was looking for rather than the way you put it as well I want to know what I'm supposed to do I know what the problems are I'm, I'm well informed but I'm unclear as to how yeah. I contribute positively in that regard um, so yeah if you Definitely. were if you were giving us advice from the book what two or three points about what you can do whether you're young or young-minded that's the first question and the second question specifically based on what you've learned from from this book and, and this process what advice would you give to Joe Biden and Kamala Harris you're listening to the dark and the guru proudly brought to you by infinity media So I, I think it is important, like you said, to, to talk to people. I mean, you know, we, we tend to forget as South Africans that our constitution, which is still held up as one of the best constitutions in the world, came about through a negotiations um, process 
where the biggest adversaries in the country, the Nationalist Party and the ANC, along with a whole lot of other people um, representing different political views, got together and actually sat down and talked and put aside their fierce hatred for each other. Um, and if they could do that, I mean, not long before they started talking, uh, you know, people were still being killed, you know, on both sides. And so for me, we we always need to go back to that. We need to look at, at the power of talking, the power of engagement, the power of learning to understand what's in the minds of people who might not look like you and who might not um, sound like you. And and using that to to then craft something new. And and so what we tried to do through the dialogues also was to kind of acknowledge that even all of us, even though we come from different backgrounds, and um, I think my dog that's, is... That's is, Doc. Uh, no, that's... I don't a, it's Doc, Doc, I don't disagree with me or disagree I've with got me. a biscuit but, here uh, in the studio and the Doc's getting excited. <laughs> <laughs> but but the point is that irrespective of, of, of our backgrounds, we can make a contribution. And we've, we've seen it, you know, in, in the way we've kind of, um, like I said, through the negotiations, and a lot of um, the contribution that a lot of people who, who might have been on opposing ends of the argument in, in their party days have actually gotten together and worked well together. And I mean, one of the the kind of the main stories of of the the transition was, for instance, the relationship between Cyril Ramaphosa and and Ruth Mayer, for instance. You know. Yeah. Um, which is, yeah, and, and, and there are many, many other stories like that. And that's the kind of thing that I'm trying to do. One of the things that I just wanted to say to you that I I want to continue the dialogues this year, um, but the focus of the dialogues will be intergenerational discussions. Mm-hmm. Okay? Um, the kind of looking at, at how we can work together as young people and old people and young-minded people and old-minded people. Um, and and those in between, um, I think is really important. I I turned 16 last year. I don't believe I'm old. I still believe that I have a lot to offer. Um, and I I kind of resent it when people tell me, hey, but you know you're old now. You need to go and sit in the corner and retire. I don't I don't think that's that's what we need to. I think those of us who are but older and wiser need to also share our experiences with um, those who are younger. Um, and so that's what I hope to do through the intergenerational dialogues. Um, obviously, with COVID and stuff, um, it might be difficult to have these dialogues kind of live as we had before, mm. but there's nothing stopping us from having intergenerational dialogues online, um, which might be better because then we can actually tap into the the knowledge and the wisdom of people from around the country or even from around the world. Yeah, I think, Roland, that's excellent. And I mean, again, you know, both Gordon and I wish you well with that second phase of, of, of dialogue. And I think, you know, I'm just stating an obvious point. Uh, and, and one of those is it's about 
people wanting to listen, you know, the willingness to do stuff. And you know, if you don't have a willingness, and I, you go back to Ruth Mayer and, and Sir Ramaphosa back at, at the, the Constitution time, there was a willingness uh, to get to that stage. And that was monumental. And I think just the other point um, around that, and I think you wrote or saw on, on the web, you were talking about some of the reasons why people don't see uh, each other is ignorance. You know, people haven't made the effort to educate themselves, haven't bothered, or perhaps put one culture ahead of the other. In other words, you know, one person or, or culture feels that they're ahead of each other. Um, it just reminds me, I mean, 10 years ago, I met with a very, very famous uh, person who wrote a lot of work on culture, probably one of the foremost experts in the world, Professor Edgar Schein, at his house in Boston. And mm-hmm. Professor Schein was talking, and he had experience in South Africa, as in many places around the world. And he was talking, one of the biggest issues about seeing differences is that people would consciously or subconsciously put themselves ahead of the other person. In other words, you'd have a superiority issue. And the moment you've got that and you don't accept the other person, you have a culture clash and you don't you, you don't see similarities. In fact, you look, you go out of your way to point out differences and where, you know, I think what we're talking about as a South African uh, and as a South African society is to look past, and Gordon and you and I have spoken about that before, look past the obvious differences. Uh, to the non-obvious similarities, you know, and it's only once you have dialogue, scratch the surface, can you see that, oh, you know, I may have more in common with that person than I originally thought. So, um, yeah, Roland, just, uh, you know, good luck for that next phase, you know, and uh, I wish you well and, and yeah. uh, be Thank interested you. to Thank see you what so comes much. out of out of that dialogue, yeah. Roland, sorry, I, I, if I'd known you were only turned 60 last year, I would, I would have put you in my podcast toy boy list. Uh, so uh, you know, I'm, I'm pushing 70, my man. So, you know, good luck with the next 10 years. But, you know, you raise a, a couple of points here which are of, of interest to me. And I've always said it's often thrown at me. You're only as good as your last idea. I said, I work in advertising. As far as I'm concerned, you're only as good as your next idea. And, and you know, we just need to encourage people irrespective of where they are on the age spectrum, to buy into that thought. If you're upskilling and you're keeping yourself up to date, there's no reason why you you can't contribute. And, and Riley, I know you've had a long association and you've been an advocate for positive transformation for many years. You helped me out some years ago. I was trying to put together uh, an initiative called Media Ignition. You might recall talking to a bunch of young people mm-hmm. about taking control of their own destinies. Um, as you look back over the last 10 years on transformation, specifically in recognition of the advertising industry, I think the advertising industry uh, charter or the MAC charter you know, begins with the word something like that, we the industry in recognition of the fact that we hold a, a unique, peculiar kind of situation in, 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 the, in, in, in the world uh, in the sense that we can shape ideas and that. We seem particularly poor at, at, at embracing transformation ourselves. How do you feel we're making progress? And, and in your case, um, obviously you're going to spin that into the world of newspapers and journalism. Are we making transformation? Is the product we are churning out transformed? Are the people themselves transformed? And I don't mean ticking boxes. I'm just talking attitudinally, behaviorally, um, in terms of cognitive transformation. How are we shaping up in the last 10 years? You know, I, I think we we struggling with transformation because I think we we approach um, transformation in the wrong way from the beginning. Um, transformation for me is is about mindset more than anything else. Um, 
And what we have done in South Africa is we turn transformation into a numbers game. And so you must have X number of black people, you must have X number of disabled people, you must have X number of women, etc. And then you transformed. But those people that you appoint still kind of have the same old-fashioned kind of attitudes, um, and that doesn't kind of help. And so where I'd like us to start, and this is the kind of the advice, in fact, I think that we give to government in the book also, is that we need to start with educating, have mass education in a way around the constitution of, of South Africa. The constitution is a beautiful document. The Bill of Rights in the constitution is, you know, really kind of outlines the kind of society we want to live in. It talks about non-sexism, non-racism. It talks about a more equitable society. It talks about people having equal access to decent housing, to health care, to education, um, to jobs, etc., etc. And I say that if everybody in South Africa or if the majority of South Africans embrace the values of the Constitution, then we would be on our way to being victorious you know, in the battle for transforming our society. Because in embracing the values of the Constitution, it requires a mindset change. And, uh, and that mindset change is what is needed in terms of the, the transformation thing. So I, I suspected what, what has happened in, in a lot of like the media houses and in the advertising industry is that they have been more concerned about getting the numbers right, but they haven't really worked on mindset. And that's where I want to focus on all my work over the next couple of years is just to kind of, you know, to work on people's minds and working on the attitudes and encouraging people to to embrace, to, to before embracing, to, to inter interrogate what it means to be truly non-racist, what it means to be non-sexist, what it means to be non-xenophobic, um, what it means to be a humanitarian, what it means to love our planet, you know, etc., etc., um, and if we if we do all of those things, then like I said, I think we we on our way to to a better transformed society. Yeah, I think you know just adding to that, right? And I think that the theme, just listening to you, is talking about an abundance mindset. You know, because often and, and I mean. As, Last week we had Edon from the Sharks talking about transformation there and historically sometimes transformation is seen to be taking from one and giving to the other. In other words, it's a minimalized mindset. You know, I have to give up something to give to somebody else because of, of the past. What we're talking about here is to build a better South Africa, to build and to grow. We need an abundance mindset of saying, and to your point, it's not just filling in numbers or ticking boxes, but getting the right people with the right attitudes to actually grow grow the whole company or country as it, as it likes. So I'd be very interested to see how that goes in terms of those dialogues around abundance as opposed to scarcity. I think that is, uh, and I mean, again, you know, not just transformation, but for many years, you know, I've, I've tried to inculcate uh, a, a question of saying, you know, let's build rather than just take from Peter to give to Timber, as an example. Yeah, and I think just to comment on that as well, you know, I, I'm mindful and for the life of me now, I can't recall who, who made this statement, but it's a wonderful concept that, Doc, if you and I each have an apple and we exchange apples, we both still have an apple. But if you and I have an idea 
and we exchange ideas. We both have two ideas. Exchange, tra positive transformative exchange is, is exponential. It's, it's a growth thing. It's not a, it's not a taking away. It is a sharing for growth, not a sharing, uh, you know, to bring it to a point where both of us have got 50% of something. We come away with 200% if we do it properly. Um, Rylan, just uh, talking media generally, um, and in, an, in, in view of the dialogue and the importance of press, just generally speaking, I'm conscious of time as well, maybe this is almost a separate topic. How do you see the integrity of, of newsrooms these days in terms of contributing to this dialogue in a balanced, uh, you know, comprehensible way and not being jingoistic? I mean, I, for, my, for the life of me, have been watching Fox News for the last a uh, couple of months i'm quite traumatized actually to be honest with you i'm horrified um so how are we on the fox scale of one to ten how are we doing here locally in newsrooms well yeah like you said i mean the, the, the newsroom story is is a completely separate topic that we can talk about um and we could probably talk about it for hours um but but quickly i mean my sense is that our newsrooms are are suffering because over the past 10 years or more, they have been juniorized, they have been minimized, um, and so that where in the past you might have had a paper like the Star having like 100 journalists or more, now they might sit with, I don't know, maybe 10 reporters, you know, um, and most of them are, are young, and some of them are interns. In fact, in a lot of cases, you find a lot of the reporters are, are kind of interns. Um, and so it's very difficult in that kind of environment for for the journalists to, to really kind of play a proper role in terms of issues like transformation in our society. Um, but, I, but I must say, I mean, one of, one of the things that I do, among the many things that I do, is I, uh, I chair... Uh, one of the major um, journalism competitions in the country, a national competition. I'm, 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 I don't know if I'm allowed to, to mention the name of the competition. Please, please do. Um, so I chaired the Vodacom Journalist of the Year competition, which has national and regional kind of legs to it. And so it allows me to, to see the state of journalism throughout the country. And I, I must say, I've been very impressed with the young people who have come through and, and how they do stuff despite the lack of resources and despite the fact that each of them are expected to do like 10 stories a day. Um, they work and they produce some good stuff. And so, uh, I mean... <laughs> If my daughter came to me now and one of my daughters decided to become a journalist, but if um, if my daughter came, if she came to me now today and said to me, Dad, I want to be a journalist, I would probably say to her, you know, I don't know whether I can encourage you to do that because I don't know whether there is, you're going to be able to make a living out of it. Um, and that is the reality of journalism at the moment. That is a really, really tough profession to be in. Sure. And um, I mean... Most of the media houses have cut their staff. Most of them have um, put their staff on, you know, have introduced salary cuts. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's been hectic. I mean, the past year 
And yes, COVID has played a role, probably a major role, but the economy in general, when, I mean, you know, when the economy suffers, then marketing budgets get cut, advertising budgets get cut, and that's where your media houses live off. Um, and so if the media houses aren't able to get advertising, then they start cutting their staff. And so... Yeah. So that I so think, yes, so the yeah, that has been has been really, yeah. really bad. I think it's being mirrored in agencies as well. So maybe that's a topic for another time. I'm going to just wrap it very quickly. Um, I tried to get a copy of the book, uh, Ryland, uh, at the normal sort of outlets, but I think for the moment there's a, a limited access book. Maybe just quick one minute wrap up. How, how can anybody get hold of the book? Um, and yeah, I think then, we, then we're going to wrap it at that. Yeah, the, the best way is still to, to just buy it through the Community Chest website. Um, but it, it is in some independent bookstores like um, the Book Lounge and Clark's Bookstores. And I think it's in one of two of the, the ones in Joburg also, um, Bridges Books and, and places like that. We are trying to get it into exclusive and we are also talking to um, to some of the online um, portals, you know, to, to sell the book. Um we launched the book at the beginning of December, which was probably the worst time to launch anything because it was like two weeks before people went, you know, lost their, their minds and, and went on a break. Um, and so <laughs> and we weren't even drinking at again. the time. <laughs> and they didn't go to the beach, that <laughs> we know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so it was a bad time probably to launch the book. <laughs> but I felt I wanted to, to launch it at that time. And so now we have to kind of work at kind of getting it into as many bookstores as we possibly can. Yeah. Well, I mean, good luck for that. And then, of uh, course, I mean, they can also contact me if they want to. Sure. And I was going yeah. to ask you, Ryland, just in closing from my side, firstly, thanks very much for your time. I'm going to hand over to Gordon to close it out. But how do people get hold of you if they want to engage with you? My website is is, is a good way of doing it. It's rylandfisher.com. Uh, Fisher without the sea. Um and that, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I get a lot of correspondence through my website. That's great, Ryland. And I think also just you may take it as a given. Please let us know when the book has a, a, an extended uh, distribution pattern. We promote that on, on the podcast. And from the podcast point of view, Doc and myself, more than happy to engage with you in amplifying your, your initiative for next year. So, Ryland, thanks once again for the time. Fantastic to have you. As always, I come away from you challenged. Uh, and inspired to to engage and do something you know, rather than just sitting at home. So thanks for your time, mate. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It's, a, it's been a pleasure. And so that was another episode of The Doc and the Guru. Please don't uh, forget to get a hold of us on Facebook, like us, follow us, uh, subscribe to the podcast. And then from my side, you can get a hold of me on LinkedIn, Dr. Doug Mataz. I'm uh, very active and very keen to hear about your views uh, and certainly will respond and hopefully we can bring that into the show. Thanks, Doc. And it's uh, Gordon Muller, the guru, signing off. Thank you for being with us and listening into this podcast today. You can pick up the discussion with me on my Twitter handle, at Mzanzi Media. And I'd love to engage with you on any of the issues that we've taken on in the show. And take us at our word. This is really going to be an open forum. There are no subjects that are taboo. And we'd love to have some of the younger, more under-listened, if that's the correct phrase, uh, voices to join us uh, in this discussion. Thanks for your time. The Dark and the Guru, proudly brought to you by Infinity Media, incubating innovative businesses in the media industry.